0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. There is no doubt the hottest topic. Now... Maybe Auburn's doing what it can to change this. We'll get more into the Tigers before we're done. But prior to the uh, eruption around Brian Harsin and Auburn, the hottest topic around college football over the course of the last week or so has been the continued recruiting success of Texas A&M and what that program has done to make that possible. Strong insinuations that name image likeness revenue have been a big part of this. And folks are trying to figure out both what's going on with the Aggies, but what this means for the larger landscape of college sports. And I think that's a fair question, fair conversation. It's one that is going to be had in the weeks and months to come. That's all true. But there is also an aspect of this, which is Georgia versus kind of a new upstart recruiting rival. And every now and these, now again, one of these is going to kind of pop up. It's been Georgia Bama for a while. It was kind of LSU for a moment with Ed Orgeron that has kind of gone away now. We'll see how quickly Brian Kelly, you know reemerges with the uh, Tigers there in Baton Rouge obviously it's been Clemson for a while based on this cycle seems like that might be subsiding just a bit but when you're a program like Georgia that's kind of been a big player on the block now you know really I mean top 10 class in 2016 but really broke through in a big way 300 plus points in the 2017 class according to the 24-7 sports composite then number one a couple times after that Georgia's actually been a player on the recruiting scene now for a good number of years and it's kind of always been Georgia and Alabama and probably Ohio State and the other main Contenders to that spot have kind of altered and rotated a bit over the course of those years. And this cycle in 2022, a Newcomer was introduced into this, a brand new recruiting rival for Georgia, not just in terms of where you finish in the final rankings, but some head to head battles. You know, Smoke Bowie went to Texas AM instead of going to Georgia. Uh, Bear Alexander went to Georgia instead of going to Texas AM. You can cite a couple of examples here of head to head battles between Georgia and this new recruiting rival, Texas AM, led by its coach, Jimbo Fisher. And in a lot of ways, what AM did in this 2022 cycle does remind you a little bit of what Georgia did when it broke through and how the number one recruiting class for the first time under Kirby Smart way back in 2018 but in looking a little bit more deeply at this and in thinking back a bit to you know what happened last week once it was kind of made official and final that A&M was going to have not just the number one class but the number one class really according to the to the recruiting services of all time there is a way in which Jimbo Fisher behaved that I still find pretty interesting and frankly potentially a little problematic for him now, i'm going to play you an example as a reminder of this in a moment but f- before that let me say this you know on this show you mostly just hear me talking i bring on a gas but around the show we have a lot of time for comments and i try to be active on social media i've got young kids so i'm not always as active on you know social media as i want to be but i try to interact with folks there certainly am very interactive before our show begins after our show begins on video we do a very special podcast comment section now as well we call it our rs andrews cool down where i take some comments there i try to be interactive and in the midst of interacting with the audience one of the things i've discovered of course the last couple of years is is that i believe that jimbo is a pretty good coach i think that he's a guy that clearly won a national championship i'd rank the 2013 florida state team as one of the best teams in recent history in college football i think jimbo should get a lot of credit for that when a&m made the hire of jimbo spending big to bring him in I thought it was kind of a bold move, and it was a bold move that was likely to result in success for AM. and m And for the most part, the recruiting classes even prior to 2022 have suggested that's true. Now, they haven't had that quite breakthrough moment on the field for the most part as of yet. But just generally speaking, it sort of seems like I think Jimbo Fisher's a better coach than, than some of y'all do. However, man. I think he's got to be really careful with what he's saying in the aftermath of putting the number one class together the way that he asked for this 2022 cycle, because you can get really wrapped up in all of this and you can trick yourself into thinking you've already accomplished something when all you've really done is set yourself up to accomplish something. And you got to be very careful how you talk here. In fact, I think Jimbo Fisher may have almost injured himself this past week trying to pat himself on the back for bringing home some sort of off-season-related trophy. We talked about this on Friday's show. You know, the notion of buzz and how, you know, buzz is one of those things that folks in college football seem to be chasing right now and you got to be very very careful you don't become like the nba or something like that where the off-season buzz becomes almost as valuable as in-season accomplishment as championships because ultimately those things actually fizzle out really fast you find out that it's that it's not a specific thing you can hold in your hand but boy, Jimbo Fisher, he seems to be pretty proud of the buzz being generated around Texas A&M right now, even though it's not currently connected to on-field success. Let me give you an example of that. You'll remember this rant. It's Jimbo firing back at those who talked about the NIL prowess they A&M has used to put this number one class together. But listen to how proud he is of himself in the midst of all this. Take a listen. If we don't like it, we're coming on. Get used to it. All right. We ain't going nowhere. It, it, it's, it's an absolute joke that people put the hard work in and do it. It's irresponsible. But it's funny, when they get it, it's all okay. Ball games are changing, man. It ain't because of NIL and what goes on. It's pretty irresponsible of all of them. They're clowns. Go next if they got a problem with it, come see me. I ain't a hard guy to find. I, mean, I told you this last week. It's so weird to me to hear Jimbo Fisher say, we ain't going anywhere. As of yet, Tech Zetum hasn't been anywhere. You know, when Kirby Smart used the we're not going anywhere line at the end of the 2017 season, Georgia won the SEC and made the college ball playoff. In this particular case, number one recruiting class is just kind of a made up thing. It's a it's a made up designation. Now listen, I believe in the value of four and five star recruits, and I believe in the value of having the best recruiting class in the country. I believe in it, but it's not the same kind of tangible accomplishment that an on field win is certainly a championship. And for Jimbo Fisher to be celebrating his recruiting class as if it was a championship, I think that's potentially problematic because here's one of the things I think that you have to understand. There are a lot of people around Texas A&M who are not used to this kind of recruiting success, and they may believe that the aftermath of recruiting the kind of players that A&M has recruited will be immediate, that you will see immediate, tangible benefit from the number one class. But sometimes these things lag a little bit. There is a little lag time between the success that you enjoy and the recruiting wins that you earn. There's a little bit of a lag time there. And to the extent that Jimbo Fisher's pats on the back create additional impatience around the boosters that allegedly have paid for some of this, uh, I think that creates a, a little bit of a problem for Texas a But ultimately, you don't really care about the Aggies. You care more about Georgia. So let me take this to kind of remind you, if you're a Georgia fan, of what you have in Kirby Smart. And I don't think this can ever be appreciated fully enough. I think that Jimbo Fisher makes a very human mistake right there. In the midst of finally earning the number one class, it's easy to want to flex. It's easy to want to say, hey, look what I did. But by taking a bow at you know for that in that moment, you run the risk of causing yourself some problems later on. It is a short-sighted thing to do. It's a very natural human thing to do. We all want credit for things. Jimbo Fisher wants credit for his number one class. But you take too much of that credit, I think you set up a false sense of what should be expected from you in the upcoming season. Let's face it, winning games on the field has not been quite so easy for Texas a and this past year certainly proves that. So let's go back to 2018 here for a moment. And maybe you remember this, maybe you don't. But in light of the way in which Jimbo Fisher is just strutting around like Vince McMahon because, uh, you know, he had the number one recruiting class, very interesting to go back to Kirby Smart when he first produced the number one class back in 2018 and just how different he was about all of that. And keep in mind, Smart's a much younger coach. Smart had plenty more folks at the time were kind of doubting what kind of coach he was going to be. I mean, this is very easy to forget, but when he was hired, folks were calling it unimaginative. Folks were calling it, you know, kind of a carbon copy of Alabama. Folks were predicting in some cases that it wouldn't work. You know, Smart had a lot more doubters in 2018 than Jimbo Fisher probably has in 2022. And Smart had something to to easily and clearly refute those doubters to the number one class. But Smart at the time was wise enough not to kind of take the bow and not to take the pat on the back that Jimbo Fisher seems to want to give himself. Let me give you a couple of very quick examples of this. This is Kirby Smart from 2018.
1: Obviously, I'm excited about the class, and I know all you guys want to talk about the ranking that really...
0: Let's just go to the next clip. Uh, Same kind of thing here. Kirby Smart on the subject of the 2018 uh, recruiting class and just not really all that interested in uh, taking credit for all of that.
1: Kirby, I know you said the, the ranking of the class doesn't flow your boat. There are probably a lot of fans who are pretty excited about it. What does it say about the University of Georgia and this program to have a, a class filled with such sought-after guys? Well, I think it's great. I think it's great for the fan base, but i trade that number one ranking for the last number one ranking in the, in, the, in, in the college football poll. So that's what's important is what you do on the field, and that's what will be measured by as coaches, what we're able to do with this class, what they're able to do in development. And... You know, that's, that's the key ingredient is what can you do with these guys nutritionally, strength and conditioning, uh, academically and even mentally. Mental conditioning is a big part for us. So I'm a lot more concerned with that than, than where, how many stars they got by their name.
0: So I think this is really interesting. And it's kind of a small point, but it's a point worth considering nonetheless. Kirby Smart was asked by the reporter there, hey, a lot of these fans are excited about having the number one class. And Smart says, yeah, that's nice. But it'd be a lot better to be number one on the field at the end of the season there as well. There's a very young coach showing, I believe, a pretty uncommon level of wisdom, and just how uncommon that wisdom in is, I think, is accentuated by what you heard from Jimbo Fisher last week. There was no deference. There was no caution. There was plenty of, hey, look at what we're doing. We ain't going anywhere, and we're coming for you, and if you want to uh, find me, I'm an easy guy to find. It's all this wrestling promo-style chatter from Jimbo Fisher. But there was none of that from Kirby Smart when he first put the number one class together in 2018 which I think if you want to look back on the story of just how exactly is it that Georgia won the national championship in 2021, the senior year for, for for many of the recruits that signed in that 2018 class, how was it that Georgia actually won that national championship? I think it's the kind of mindset that Smart had very early on in his career that lead the way towards that. Smart understood this was truly a process. It's overused of a phrase that is in college football. Smartly really understood that. And it would be built not by one great class, but by a multitude of great classes year over year over year. And that you can't have the championship without the recruiting success. But the recruiting success in and of itself is not a championship. And so when you think back on the story of how Georgia got it done, that is how it got it done. And when you watch the way other programs are going to try to travel the same path that Georgia's been down on, I think it's fair to ask, how likely are they to achieve that? On the basis of the way that Jimbo is talking compared to the way that Kirby Smart has talked? I'd say it's a little less likely that the Aggies eventually get there. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. Hello to you, and thanks for being with us no matter how you get to us today, whether it be 945, 1st and 15, on dognation.com or the Dog Nation app, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch all the other video platforms just really appreciate you being a part of the program today and we really appreciate our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia for making it all possible they can equip your house with energy efficient windows and doors the time of year when you start thinking about hey getting your home to look as good as it can for the upcoming spring and you know uh, warm weather season always kind of fun to start thinking about think about spring cleaning or just kind of freshening things up kind of a new year's resolution type thing this is the time to do that and make sure your house looks the best it can on the outside but also feels the best that it can on the inside. That's all a big part of what's going to be going on with Pella window and door of Georgia. These are windows that have been voted the best and most, you know, enjoyable experience by Atlanta homeowners. These are you know, these are windows that are time tested you know value represented everybody understands what you get when you get a Pella window and door of georgia in your house and you also can get great savings right now as well because between now and april 21st you can get 50 percent off qualifying installations that's 50 percent off qualifying installations great great savings on a great great product Pella window and door uh for your home right now check them out online Pella of ga.com slash dog nation that's Pella of ga.com slash dog nation you can also give them a call 678-638-1496 that's 678 638 Fourteen ninety six. Just make sure you tell them that BA from Dog Nation sent you to them because I know they're going to take good care of you. Check them out online. That's Pella of uh, Pella Window and Door of Georgia, com slash Dog Nation for a lot more on that. All right, we're going to get John Stinchcomb coming up in just a moment. Uh, before that, though, I'm going to do a version of Around the doghouse House here. I want to make another comparison. So off the top of the program, I compare what Jimbo Fisher says this year about having the number one overall class, what Kirby Smart has said in the past when he did that for the first time back in 2018. I think you see a level of humility from Smart that, frankly, Jimbo Fisher didn't quite show this past week. And I think that humility that Smart showed, understanding that if you take too much credit for this now, you set up a weird level of expectation in the immediate future, and maybe, you know, you don't want to give people a false sense of just how hard and arduous the climb is towards a title. I think that shows a pretty nice thing about smart, and I think it speaks to the culture that has been built there at Georgia. Similar comparison here that I think also speaks to a a cultural difference here for a moment. Now, I know this has kind of gotten some attention here uh, over the course of the last couple of days. uh, Nick Saban, Alabama coach Nick Saban, was asked at his press conference signing day about not just the high school guys that Alabama is bringing in, but also some of the big transfer names, among them former Georgia wide receiver Jermaine Burton. And Saban said a lot about what has caused Burton to leave Georgia and go to Alabama. And I think Saban's words here are worth considering. This is Nick Saban going back to last Wednesday. You know, Jermaine Burton was somebody
1: that we recruited out of high school that we thought was a really, really good player. Um, he had a fairly productive, you know, year at, at Georgia. Um, they have a lot of good players at his position. And, um, you know, he had some production this year. Um, but you know, probably might have seen a better opportunity because we're a little bit more wide open and throw the ball more with a good quarterback. Uh, that may have been his intention, but you know, we feel like you know we lost you know both starting receivers and Slade, um, you know, two to the draft and and Slade. So um, you know, to get a more experienced player that has some playing time in this league uh, probably is a good thing uh, for us, and we like his ability, and you know, hopefully he'll. I'll be able to be very productive for us
0: something that's very interesting in some cases candid remarks there from nick saban and for the most part that echoes what most of us assume to be true alabama does throw the ball more to than than georgia does alabama has had more prolific success with its wide receivers than georgia has had it's been largely assumed and essentially confirmed by his mentor Terrence Edwards when he'd been on the show, but it's been largely assumed that's why Jermaine Burton was leaving Georgia to go to Alabama. And for the most part, uh Nick Saban echoes all of that. And listen, I got I don't have nothing bad to say about Jermaine Burton. You know, if you're a wide receiver, you wanna be used, you want stats, that's that's human nature. Everybody would kind of want that. I, I got no real beef with Burton at all. I I don't think he made you know, the the best possible choice here, but ultimately it's his choice to make and at a certain point it just kind of becomes water under the bridge. I've got nothing bad to say about Jermaine Burton. But it is fair to point out here when Nick Saban is as open as he is about the Burton transfer, then he's essentially acknowledging and validating this is what the Alabama culture is now. We are a culture of players who came here chasing stats. That and you may not fault Burton for wanting to chase stats. But Nick Saban essentially stands up there at the podium in Tuscaloosa and says, our program is now the place that people come to chase stats. And that is a culture. And I think what's going to be very interesting to see, and listen, one year's worth of national championship doesn't decide anything, that that, that Georgia has emerged as the top team in college ball right now, but very soon it's going to go out there and have to defend that title once again. And that's not going to be an easy thing to do. And then in 2023, these same two teams probably battling, and then for the foreseeable future, it may be Georgia and Alabama fighting to see which is the supreme program in college football. But the culture of the two programs will go a long way towards determining just how successful these programs are. I think it's fair to wonder, is this really the culture that's likely to produce the most winning in the future? Hey, come here and collect stats. Come here and and, and accomplish individual glory. Come here and do that. How well is that going to work out for Alabama in the future? I think it's very interesting to see because I think it's very fair to say that Georgia is in pursuit of a very different kind of culture. Georgia is in pursuit of a very different kind of idea. And at least for the year of 2021, the kind of culture that Georgia has pursued has worked out very well. Now, you may say, well, B.A., what exactly is that culture? How exactly would you identify that? Well, I don't know if my words on this are going to be quite as good as, like, say, someone like Daniel Jeremiah, NFL draft analyst for the NFL Network. During the Senior Bowl telecast this weekend, Jeremiah highlighted the play of Channing Tindall. Now, keep in mind here, Tindall, linebacker from Georgia, not technically a starter. This is a guy that played behind guys like Quay Walker and uh and and certainly Nicole Dean, and yet emerged as a huge player for the dogs this season in kind of a complimentary role. And the moment that got Jeremiah's attention from the senior bowl was not some sort of starring thing on the defense, but it was a it was a complimentary role on special teams, chasing down a punt, uh that that Jeremiah noticed. This is as George as it gets. Reserve player who has a chance to be an NFL guy making big plays on special teams during an all-star game when most folks are kind of, you know, cheesing for Instagram or something like that. Uh, You know, Channing Tindall's out there working as hard as he can. And it earned the praise of Daniel Jeremiah in the Senior Bowl this weekend. And as we're having a conversation about the cultures and which cultures are most valuable and and what's most likely to produce future success, boy, what's being said about Georgia this weekend seems really relevant and all that. This is Daniel Jeremiah from the telecast breaking down the play of Channing Tindall. There's Channing Tindall, linebacker from Georgia, that loaded Georgia
1: defense. They have a play style, and it is aggressive, and it carries over to special teams. I want you to show you right there he is, the right tackle on punt, and watch the effort that he gives to make this tackle. As he goes down the field, he's in his lane, he's where he's supposed to be. Now it's gonna bounce outside, and you're gonna see just how fast he is again. Here he is right here. Watch him close this angle. That is big time speed and effort from Channing Tindall, and it reminds me of coming to this game as a young scout. And there was a linebacker from Mississippi. You know, I'm trying to remember his name. Yeah, Patrick oh Willis. Oh, that guy.
0: So Patrick Willis went on to be rookie of the year in the NFL, and obviously uh, does big things. And that's the guy that Jeremiah, who I respect more than anybody, is comparing Channing Tindall to. And the point that I'm getting to is this: is that's the Georgia culture. That's what Georgia's all about. It's about elite prospects who could have played a lot more other places, staying at Georgia, being patient, biding their time, earning praise during the year, contributing to a national championship, going to the Senior Bowl, making a play on special teams, getting Daniel Jeremiah, throwing that kind of praise out. That's what the Georgia culture is. Now, listen, everything in life comes down to choices. Nick Saban has made his choice, but the kind of program he wants to build. It's a finesse program that highlights quarterbacks and wide receivers. And in 2020, that worked out pretty well. But that was also a pandemic year, and nobody's playing much defense. In 2021, the kind of style of play that Alabama used to define itself by was used against it by Georgia when the national championship. Two very different teams, two very different programs, two very different cultures. I think moving forward, it's going to be very interesting to see which of those two cultures produced the most winning on the field that is around the doghouse we'll have this conversation a lot obviously in the uh, months to come but for now on everything else happening around the georgia program with uh what's going on with uh the action on the field also athletic board meeting in the uh, recent days and a very interesting update on all of that let's see if we can cover all of that ground coming up with the former georgia all-american always great guy to have a part of this discussion it's john Stinchcomb here on dog nation daily presented by palo window indoor of georgia Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a DogNation.com insider oh it's great to have John Stinchcomb here on dog nation daily presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia always uh fun to have this conversation and John there's a lot I want to get to with you but let me bring this in before we kind of move on to anything else you know we're at that time of year we just came off senior bowl Played a little audio earlier of Daniel Jeremiah throwing some praise the direction of Channing Tindall. And a lot of these guys seem to be earning that chatter right now. A lot of praise coming the way of Georgia players. And as a guy who's traveled this path yourself from a very good Georgia player to an NFL career, and you know how important this time of year is and all of that. You know, I guess how much do you put yourself back in the position of these players who are trying to earn that attention and trying to be at their physical and spiritual, emotional best so that they can position themselves to the draft as best as possible? And what does this time of year mean to you as a former player?
1: Well, I certainly remember uh, the importance of this time of year as you transition and you're still trying to put your best foot forward. And uh, these All-Star Games is a great opportunity to do that, even though, when you play at Georgia, you've played at huge games against great opponents to have an opportunity for uh, coaches and scouts to come watch you in person as you go through drills and they can make direct comparisons to those that um, they're evaluating to see, you know, on, on these draft boards, uh, whether or not you're going to be the second or third uh, person on that list as compared to the fifth or sixth, that matters. And and it can be, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of value that you can add, which is kind of crazy. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's performance-based and and you should be evaluated on how you play in the football field. But um, these opportunities, these all-star games where they can have interviews and they can meet with you uh, to kind of figure out your football IQ, uh, in addition to watching you practice and play the game, it's it's a great way for these individual players to make another impression and it sounds like from all the reports that Georgia has the, the players from Georgia have done an outstanding job of representing themselves and the university and how they've been prepared um and and their commitment to the game I, you know I, I listened to that quote from Daniel Jeremiah as he highlights the effort on a special teams play in an all-star game which you know i think is uh commendable for for channing but also for um the importance that's been placed on on those type plays and uh, it bodes well for both him and the university
0: i would also say john it's a rebuke of the current culture around college ball right because you know Kendall spent a lot of his career georgia is kind of a reserve player, kind of a role player. Even in the moments in which he played the best in the twenty twenty one season, he was still a guy that was sharing a lot of time with other linebackers. And there are a lot of folks in that same situation who just wouldn't have tolerated that. They would have wanted to go somewhere else where they could have chased more stats, gotten more individual glory, frankly had an easier path. And you know, for someone like Tyndall I I believe it sounds like he's going to be rewarded for having gone through the physicality that Georgia requires having having committed himself to the team first mindset special teams everything else that 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 Georgia requires that he is going to be a richer man for having gone through all of this which is kind of the way we want football to work is it not
1: well I, I think you know you and I both are are more old school in our approach and mentality and see that as uh, an advantage for these players to, to stick it out and have some persistence and be able to fight their way through adversity and I think you come out on the other end better for it and um, you know I, I've often spoken of uh, Shockley in during our area yeah. era that DJ had plenty of opportunity to go elsewhere and he wanted to honor his commitment and uh, as a former teammate of his the appreciation that he saw and received uh, from the rest of the guys in that room was palpable. And I, you know, I, I think there is something still uh, of value for those that are willing to stick it out and honor their commitment in an era that it becomes so much easier to uh, find an easier path. You know, was it Teron Matthew recently who is quoted as saying, you know, one of the best things for him was having to cut his teeth behind the uh, two or three great players that he was behind on the depth chart. And it made him better for it. And when his opportunity came to shine, um, that iron sharpens iron mentality that it that it takes to kind of wait and actively waiting, you know, not passively waiting for your time. But as you ready and and you refine your skills for when that time comes for you to um when your number's called uh, he's saying he's much better for it i think both quay and channing are two great examples of of guys that came in that were really highly touted that didn't see early opportunity but yet um as as their time has come to an end at the University of Georgia they're going to see great opportunity at the next level and if that was their goal and that was their intention then it might not have been the direct path that most people uh, covet these days but it's, it's going to end up in the exact same location that they had their eyes set on four or five years ago when they were talking about what they wanted to do and where they wanted to be Uh, when this day comes and and draft comes around and they want to become professional players.
0: I want to talk about name, image, likeness stuff for a minute. And you mentioned a moment ago me kind of being a little bit of an old school mindset. Maybe you'd describe yourself uh, that same way. And yet, while that is true to a degree, John, I'm also the kind of person that I think can recognize that a lot of the things that we stress out about when it comes to changes to college sports end up just kind of, you know, Being absorbed by the fabric of the sport and within a few years they don't really seem all that crazy compared to what we maybe thought about at the time and maybe NIL eventually becomes that kind of thing there as well however in light of what happened this past Wednesday with A&M putting a cap on its recruiting class and all the rumors about the way in which they used you know payments for players as a way of getting there I think the thing right now John the most frustrated about is is not the fact that NIL is present in college sports I've for the most part kind of made peace with that but it's the lack of specifics it just seems like that the amount of rumor about all of this outpaces what we know for sure is a fact tangibly by about a magnitude by 10 to 1 it, it certainly seems like and I've jokingly said whether it comes to Lane Kiffin saying he can't recruit because he can't afford to pay players or Nick Saban crying poor or Jimbo Fisher on the one hand bragging about their NIL prowess only to later on Basically, disavow any knowledge of any of this kind of stuff. I just sort of believe right now everybody is lying, and maybe they all have good reasons to lie, but I don't know that anybody right now in relationship to any of this is telling the truth. So let me just ask you do you feel like you have a sense of what's going on here? And are you as confused as I am about just how real any of this really is right now?
1: No, and and it's across the board, right? I mean, I think for anyone to say they have got a clear understanding of what on a national scale, you know, the NILs look like, I think there's a select few. And I'm sure the compliance uh, agents at the various universities understand what's going on at their schools and, and maybe have in the broader sense um, at least a, a better understanding than most of what's happening across the conference. But it's so, it's such a wide array of responses and um, the players that are getting these deals I, I think at times have been kind of shocking um, and there's a lot of speculation and a lot of projection of what could and, and what should happen because this is so very new and it's not as out in front um, with clarity as uh, most of us would want I mean uh, the fact that you know, Texas A&M is probably at the forefront, you know, one of the, the, I guess it is the best recruiting class this year. At one time, the speculation was 25 to 30 million, which seemed to be a an accepted number. And, you know, um, Coach Fisher has pushed back on that and called it false after there was almost a, a, a beating of the chest of going, yeah, this is part of, part of the process. So I think there's so much... Uh, haziness and and cloudiness surrounding NILs and what the real numbers are that it just creates this vacuum and there's so much speculation on um, what's really happening and you know as a player they're going this this makes a big difference can I can I go somewhere and um, basically become a professional in the college range I'm getting paid uh, you know, of course, you cannot say this. I'm not getting paid to play, but because I play, I'm getting paid. You know, mm-hmm. you have to be a, a clever wordsmith just to, you know, figure it all out. But uh, these NIL deals, it's a, it's a whole new ballgame. And, you know, the the Wild West and the the potential for schools that have these deep pocket donors to say, you know, I think we can – double down spend for a couple years and, and put our chosen university in a position to buy a national championship it is more real now than it's ever been
0: and let's talk about that part of this for a moment because this is a very complicated issue but i think the more we can whittle it down to something kind of simple i think it's easier for everybody to understand john the sense that i get the next few months maybe the next year or so going to really be about that issue right there, which is that based on the way that most state laws are written, based on the way in which I think the powers that be initially interpreted what the NIL era was going to be, there was this thought of, okay, we'll make a concession for players to get paid, but we want it to be for marketing type reasons, you know, using your name, image, and likeness as a way of promoting a company or autographs you know baseball football cards things like that we want you know we'll, we'll open the door for you to receive revenue for this but it's got to be in exchange for some sort of service some sort of value and there was seemingly this blockade against true pay for play but I get the sense that maybe that's not what the stakeholders actually really want now and that we could see state laws rewritten we could see open acknowledgement that we don't have to pretend that this isn't payment for play now we'll find out how many boosters really have enough money just throw it around like that but that we may actually see an evolution of this nil conversation in the let's say next year to come we really get more specific of do we really want to say you can't get money just for the act of playing football because i get the sense that that's maybe less popular than some of the decision makers initially thought it would be
1: Well, you know, it's based on fair market value. Well, the 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 market had not been established, and and probably still hasn't yet as to what that is. um, Is what would be fair? What's fair to pay someone for using their name, their image, and their likeness? Right? And until that's established, who knows where it's landing? And I think that's what some of the confusion where some of the confusion starts. Is just uh, you know how can these various players until it's kind of regulated and regu- uh normalized? How wh- what does this look like? So my concern at, at one point and um, you know uh, coming off the heels of went to the um, our, our board meeting at, at the University of Georgia. It certainly hasn't been the case at Georgia, but um, for some of these other schools, if boosters can donate directly to players which you know now in nil deals can give you that opportunity would that affect um and influence where they spend their dollars Mm -hmm. (laughs) because there are some people that have endless amounts of money but there's others that that love their school and want to pay and and made donations to their universities for years that you know are, are they now considering rather than donating to the school can i donate to the players directly through NIL deals and influence the outcome, uh, in a more direct way. I, you know, I think those are very real questions, especially for, uh, some of the middling universities out there. And then this doesn't just apply to football. I mean, yeah. you look at basketball and you talk about, that's a, a heck of a lot fewer players that need to get paid and, um, to, to have a real impact, uh, in the outcome so if you decide well, let's and a couple buddies who love our school we're willing to spend on three four five guys and and give us a, a very realistic chance that at bringing home some trophies and filling up the the trophy case uh, how is that good how is that good for college athletics and so trying to find that balance of Giving players opportunities, which is what has been the argument on one side of things, without losing the competitive spirit and and golly, um, just the nature of college athletics, I think it's going to be really tough to find. I think you're seeing it right now. I think Georgia basketball is probably a. Um, one of the one of the programs that you can look to that says if you're not elite you become a feeder program yeah. for, for some of the bigger dogs in the hunt and um, it's the, the same would hold true for football so it's unfortunate and you know I, I don't know how it's great for the overall product it's probably good for individuals but um, to, to try to keep this machine, Humming along in a way that fans are going to continue to support, I think is is a very real question that those that are in power are going to need to answer.
0: Let me finish with this, if you don't mind, John, and I certainly appreciate your time as always. You brought up the athletic board meeting. I was curious, as a member of the uh, athletic board of directors, you know what else you took from the meeting that just occurred? Chip Towers had some good reporting on this at the uh, AJC about some of the expenditures and some of the new projects that came out there. But just kind of your overarching thought for those who want to kind of follow what's going on with UGA athletics, but maybe not obviously, you know, being able to be in, in a conversation like that. What you took from the recent athletic board of directors meeting that occurred?
1: Well, first and foremost, the the health of the athletic department at Georgia, especially when you compare it to uh, other universities across the country. I mean, Auburn recently had reports coming out that they operated in a deficit last year. Many of the programs, even big programs, um, had furloughed employees and reduced pay, and that didn't happen at Georgia. So uh, just the financial wherewithal and position that Georgia had coming into the pandemic, and especially this year, the, the leadership, Ryan Nesbitt and company have done an outstanding job. And, and a big piece of that is the support of dog nation. I mean, the, the fact that the donors and, uh, the McGill society has done such an incredible, incredible job of, of supporting the athletic department has allowed for, uh, growth even in, in really challenging times. So, uh, When you look at the amount of projects that are underway and are are about to start, not just for football and and for some of the other sports, um, new tennis facility and baseball and and softball facility upgrades, just regular maintenance with with Sanford Stadium, a lot of really good things are happening uh, across the board in Athens. And it's one of those board meetings that you, you leave and you go, man, that's, I'm, I'm grateful to be a part of it. I'm glad we're not sitting here going, um, how do we right the ship? How yeah. do we sustain this storm that we're in? Because a lot, a lot of athletic departments in the SEC for for major programs are dealing with a much def- different set of cards on the table than what the University of Georgia's.
0: John, I think that's really well said, and I certainly appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being here today, and always great to just catch up with you on the subject of Georgia football. So, hope you have a great week, and we'll look forward to getting a chance to speak to you very soon. Likewise, B.A. Go dogs. Good stuff. It was at this point in the show that things seemed to be going very well, but shortly thereafter, there was an audio issue that caused us to have to end things early today. So a lot of the stuff that we planned on talking about, we didn't get a chance to discuss. The turmoil at Auburn and some of the ongoing issues around all of that and some of the fun things we like to do to close out our show. So we're going to let you go a little early today, but hopefully everything will be cleared up in time for tomorrow's show. Either way, thanks for being here. A part of it each and every day. We'll also have a podcast cool down again hopefully tomorrow there as well. And apologize. For the inconvenience. But thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Paloendo Indoor of Georgia. And we will see you again tomorrow.